Recovery Elevator, Episode 6. I was kind of a lone ranger, like drinking alone a lot towards the end. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator. My name is Paul, and at the time of this recording, I have 197 days sobriety. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker available on Android and the iPhone. Today, I'm going to talk to you about why alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world and why you probably haven't even realized it. Before I get into about how alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world, I'm first going to talk about why you probably don't even see it coming and don't realize that it's already happening. Let's switch gears for a second and talk about farm machinery, pun intended. In Montana, there are a lot of farms and ranches. And let's get real. I can't personally talk with experience. I'm allergic to horses. In fact, extremely allergic to horses and alcohol. I've done a lot of drunk driving, but it's probably a good thing that I've never done drunk horseback riding because actually horses are in the top 10 most dangerous animals in the entire world. I probably would have fallen off many horses drunk horseback riding. Anyways, back to the topic. I have, however, been inside of a tractor and I noticed there are three speeds. And I'm going to use these three speeds in an analogy to tell you why alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world, but you don't even know it. There are three speeds, turtle, hare, and a cheetah. Let's go to cheetah. Drugs that fall in the cheetah category are like meth, heroin, and crack. You can see the wheels come off quickly when a person gets very involved with meth, heroin, and crack. We've all seen the faces of meth photos where the date says 2005 and then let's fast forward to 2006 and the person has no teeth and they've really had a tough go and it happens fast. A drug that falls in the hair category or the bunny would be cocaine. It's not quite as fast, but prolonged cocaine use usually can see the effects and the negative outcomes fairly quickly. Let's talk about turtle speed. More specifically, the tortoise, which is actually the longest living mammal on the planet and can live well over 100 years. The reason why I'm placing alcohol in the turtle gear shifter speed is because the effects are a lot slower. Some people, they are alcoholics after their first drink. That wasn't the case with me. I was a normal drinker for about five to eight years. But gradually, slowly, the effect turned. I became an alcoholic, and I was always just a couple turns behind my addiction. There were moments in brevity where I did control my drinking for a week, for two weeks. I'd go for 30 days without drinking, and I would be convinced I'm not an alcoholic. But over a long duration of time, we're talking years, decades, three, four decades, the effects from alcohol are drastic. Again, I want you to listen to this podcast out of hope not out of fear, but armed with a couple facts and some knowledge, you should be able to make an informed decision. Now, knowledge is not power unless you do something with the information. And I don't claim to be an authority in this topic, especially a medical authority. I do have two very expensive pieces of paper on my wall, but they don't give me any credit as an authority to talk about this topic. Again, listen to this podcast out of hope for a better life and not out of fear. But let's talk about Dr. David Nutt, who does have the credentials to talk about this topic. Now, David Nutt is a psychiatrist at the Empirical College in the UK and former chairman of the UK Advisory Council on Drugs and Alcohol. I say former because after his brilliant findings, they promoted him. Actually, I'm just kidding on that. After he proposed that alcohol was the most dangerous drug in the world, he was alleviated of his duties on the board. How amazing is that? Well, this is what he did. 
he took 20 drugs and gave him a classification harm score from 1 to 16. 9 measures the individual harm to the user, and 7 measures the societal harm factors that it has to just society in general. And the majority and bulk of that is the economic cost and burden that alcohol places on our society. Now, seven societal risk factors aside, alcohol was still number four behind heroin, crack, and meth on just individual factors alone. Alcohol kills nearly three million people each year, and hundreds of millions are projected to have their lives cut short due to alcohol abuse. In the U.S. alone, around 10,000 traffic fatalities are caused due to alcohol. That's nearly one-third of all traffic fatalities in the U.S.A., Of all criminals who commit homicide or murder, nearly half are intoxicated. And two-thirds of all domestic violence arrests involve alcohol. You want to be a good husband? Tip number one, stop drinking. Your likelihood to be a victim is almost doubled if you've been drinking. Now, I have been involved in assaults where it wasn't my fault. But look back at it, I was drinking. And it probably was in some sort of manner exactly my fault because I put myself in a situation in a volatile climate or a bar past 1 a.m. and I was drinking and I was drunk. I mean, watch the TV series Cops. All the good ones or ones worth watching are where the people are drunk or involved drugs and alcohol. I can only imagine when they're in a meeting preparing for their next episode, there's like, we need to go where people drink because that's where the magic happens. In fact, you're probably an alcoholic if you've ever been on the TV show Cops. Now, don't confuse legality with dangerousness. The reason why a lot of drugs such as alcohol and tobacco are legal are mostly societal and political. They gave that prohibition thing a go and murder rates skyrocketed. And in fact, murder rates dropped as soon as they re-legalized alcohol. People were willing to kill for their alcohol. I'd like to throw out a crazy idea that I heard on a Freakonomics podcast. What if in some far-off planet, alcohol and marijuana were discovered at the same time and both submitted to the Food and Drug Administration? Which one do you think would be approved and which one do you think would be denied? The Freakonomics episode and, in my opinion, both say alcohol would be illegal and marijuana would be legalized. People say marijuana is the gateway drug. That is false. In my opinion, and that's all it is, alcohol is the gateway drug. Ask anybody who eventually starts doing crack, cocaine, meth, what they first started with. It's probably not Mary Jane. It is good old booze. Here's the sad thing. Depending on where you are in your elevator, if you've ridden that elevator far enough down, none of this matters to you. You'll hear these stats and say, wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that, but it's not going to change a bit. Unfortunately, people are warned all the time of the medical risks. In fact, people are told, if you drink any more, you will die. Yeah, and then they can control it for a week or two weeks, but they drink again. In the state of Montana, if you get your fourth DUI, you go to prison. You would think people would stop drinking and driving after their second, third, but alcoholics, it doesn't matter. They're addicted to alcohol and they keep drinking and they keep driving. This podcast has nothing to do with tobacco, but, but about 9 out of 10 people can handle their alcohol. And there even has been some cardiovascular health benefits associated with drinking moderately. But 0 out of 10 people get health rewards from smoking tobacco or cigarettes. 
So, in my opinion, if you're smoking cigarettes, stop now. Don't quit them both at the same time. Quit alcohol first, and then after a couple years, or if you feel like you can do it sooner, eventually quit smoking cigarettes or chewing tobacco. And Recovery Elevator Nation, I am excited to bring our next guest to the podcast. Daisy, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. Real quick, Daisy, how long have you been sober and how old are you? I'm 26 years old and on March 24th, 2015, I'll be sober one year. So wow. I have 11 months at this point. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, Daisy, let's jump right into things. Referencing the podcast title, when did you realize your elevator had reached its bottom and it was time to stop drinking? It was probably around, uh, I want to say the beginning of like 2014 was like a really horrible time. Like I was off the radar for like weekends at a time. Like, thank God I had to go to work in the morning because that was the only thing that like sobered me up. Like I wouldn't even go out. Like my drinking became so unsocial and it was like, all I would do was just like be home alone, getting drunk and like passing out. Like I wouldn't remember if I'd ate, if I drank. You know, like I knew 100% that I like wouldn't be able to go anywhere all weekend long because I wouldn't know if I'd be able to get there. You know, mm. so I was like, I don't know. I can't really make any plans. I don't want to be drunk at home. Um, so it was just long periods of me, like literally losing days, like just in blackouts, like every night when I got home and then the weekends. And anytime I'd like go out in public, just bad things would happen, you know? So it just got to a point where it was just like, I'd be like violently hung over on Monday, like unable to come to work sometimes and just periods of really losing days. Now, Daisy, you mentioned blackouts. How often did that happen? For example, you know, when you drank, was it every time, 75% of the time? Yeah. How often did you black out? I think towards the end, it was more often than not. And it was, again, I like wasn't doing much. So I wouldn't have like much go back and people would be like, well, do you remember you were there? You know, it was like, I was kind of a lone ranger, like drinking alone a lot towards the end. But I think it was a lot because people, would, I'd be like, you know what? You never called me back. And they'd be like, well, yes, I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? And like, I would just, I remember one time we went, we were at a, a my cousin had a two-year-old birthday party and it was on a Saturday and my whole family was in town and we were all together and I was drinking that day like early in the morning and you know drank at the party and then after my parents were like let's go for a hike so it was my parents and I and two siblings we were gonna go on like a walk hike somewhere in the neighborhood and all of a sudden I like kind of came to and we were on this walk and I was wearing flip-flops and my feet were all blistered and I was like I don't want to be on this hike anymore. You know, like, I, don't know, I was like, I don't know what the deal is. Like, why you guys always want to get out and about? Like, look at my feet. They're all scraped up. And my mom's like, you should have changed your shoes. And I was like, mom, you know, we didn't even go home. So there was no way I could have changed my shoes. And she said, we were home. You took a nap for three hours after the wow. party. And I like, didn't remember doing any of that. I mean, it was just like a two-year-old birthday was the occasion Mm -hmm. and we were going to go on a nice family hike and like I was the only person drunk in the middle of the day. Sure. Coming out of a blackout on a family hike, realizing you'd have no shoes and blisters. Yeah. That's yeah. And I was like, yeah, what's your people? What's, what's wrong with you people? Like you take me on these hikes and we don't even like get to change our shoes. 
Wow. And it was like after a nap, like I'd been so drunk that I like snapped and then got up and like still wasn't really sure what was going on. Now, Daisy, describe your drinking habits, how much you drank. And did you ever attempt to regulate it before, so, you know, almost 11 months ago, you said, I'm done. Did you ever try to regulate it with, with rules and places? For example, like I'm not going to drink before this time of day, only these days, only when it's a birthday or when it's sunny. Talk about that a little bit. I started to try to regulate, I think, when I was like 18, 19. And I remember them being like, I'm only going to drink on the weekends, like in college. It's like definitely only drinking on the weekends. Just, I mean, they were, they were short lived. So like then I think maybe I, I could go like three days without drinking, but they were just like such short lived periods. And then, you know, stuff like I'm only going to drink like with other people. I'm only going to drink wine. I would try to limit like what I drank and where I drank. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't really last very long. And I remember before I turned 21, it was a week before I turned 21. And I thought, I'm going to try to be sober for one week before I actually turn 21. And I didn't make it a single day of that whole week. Yeah. So it'd been a long time that I was trying to regulate and I'd set these rules. It was like a constant mind game of me, like setting these rules and then like breaking them daily. Yeah. Daily for, for years, like five, six years, you know, it went on for a long time. Sure. I remember in 2004, my last year of college, I had a rule where I would only drink three nights a week and I would put an X on the calendar. And most alcoholics, I know I did, we all get a serious case of the fuckets. And it would be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I would have three X's on my calendar. And I'd be like, well, fuck it. I've already gotten three. And I would just, you know, notch off four more and there'd be seven X's in the week. And I would say, well, then I can't carry this over and I won't, you know, I'll only drink 12 out of the 30 days. And, you know, we both know how that ended up. So, Daisy, you're 26, correct? Mm-hmm. So you are early in sobriety, 11 months, and you're young. What is what is that like? Do your friends know? Because I remember, you know, I'm only 32, but being in my mid-20s, it was kind of the norm to go out on a Friday night, Saturday night, and get drunk. What's that like? And I was pretty fortunate where the people that I was surrounded with have been people that have that are are really good people and their friends and family, and I still love them. And so, like, when I decided to make a change and like I wasn't drinking it was kind of like no questions asked and so there wasn't a whole lot of people that were like bugging me like let's drink um and I still I still go out you know and I'm I'm out and about and I just don't drink and and I got to a point where I'm like comfortable with that and and my group of friends nobody offers to like buy me drinks so they're not handing me drinks um because I I, I still am I'm I'm always I've always been social you know, and so like, I still want to go out and about and there's things like, I, I don't want to miss stuff still. And so like, I'll go out and I'm, I'm pretty confident in myself that I, that I'm not going to drink and I still just kind of do it. But as far as friends kind of getting used to the idea, I mean, my core group of friends, they've, they've been pretty good about it. I mean, the writing was on the wall for a long time for the people that were really close. So it was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. And it was like, that's good. And I remember I told my best friend the day I got sober and I was like, I can't, I'm not, I can't drink anymore. And she was just like, she was just like, I'm so happy. I've been noticing for a long time. And she was like, and your struggles don't define you. Like she was like, you're mm-hmm. beautiful and everybody loves you. Like they just adore you. And like, you can't let this, whatever this is that you're dealing with ruin you forever. Now, did the obsession or craving to drink has it disappeared or do you think it will? Or what's it like when, when you're around alcohol in a bar, for example? It varies. Like I have times when I'm like, 
I could definitely have a drink. Like, and I have times where I can like see myself, like this crosses my mind where I would stick my finger in like some whiskey. I don't know why it's whiskey. So I don't even like whiskey, but like <laughs> I would stick my finger in whiskey and I'd rub it on my gums. Just have a taste. I have like these little things that float in my brain. Like, Oh, well I could definitely do that. Um, and, and there's cravings still there and it, and it kind of comes in waves, but most of the time, like throughout my week and my daily life, I don't really crave it. And, and I am surrounded with it a lot. I mean, I've, I've dated people that drink and, and, you know, my whole family drinks and I'm, I'm still surrounded with it a lot. And it, the majority of the time, I'm pretty comfortable being around it and knowing that I'm not going to drink and, and it doesn't really bother me that much. Like I can continue conversations and it's not like weighing on my brain and I'm not worried about it. But it, it is like just randomly throughout the day, sometimes I get these little like irrational thoughts. And it's not even like I could like, because I, I sometimes romanticize about it, but no, most of the time I look back and I'm like, I it really did mess me up. It really did like make me like not the person I want to be. And so like, as much as I like sometimes look back on it favorably, like, oh, I just drink. Like the majority of me is like, no, you can't. Like you were discussing them. It's amazing how short term our memories really are, and we can't remember just a year ago. Oh, and I just don't trust it. You yeah. know, like I just don't trust whatever's going on in my brain. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> now you mentioned dating. W- what is it like dating in early sobriety? When do you have that conversation when you're out to dinner and you get a soda and they get wine or a beer? Because I know with me. it's inevitable. Someone's going to say, well, we've been out three times and you always have Sprite with red grenadine and cherries, a.k.a. Shirley Temple. What's going on? Tell me about that for you. It varies. I I usually try to just like ride off the bat. I'm like, I don't drink. And it just kind of like squashes the whole conversation. And and some people ask about it more than others. Like some people are like, right on. And that's all they say about it, you know, and and especially like when a relationship's new and some, some they don't want to pry, you know, and I've been with people that are like, whoa, this is a red flag. This is damaged goods. Crazy lady coming my way. Mm-hmm. And so those people, I mean, obviously if they have an issue with it, like you have to shake them. But like people that are out there like doing good things for themselves and like getting good stuff done, like I'm dating a guy now and I don't drink and he's like, that's great. Like, look at you. Like you wake up every, every day and every weekend and you're like successful and you're productive and you're getting up in the morning and you're working out and you're getting your stuff done, you know, and like you don't waste time. You don't waste days. And he likes that, you know? And so like, there's people out there that are like it and there's people out there that are in the, the scene and they're not going to like it, you mm-hmm. know? And so you just kind of have to weed through, but it's definitely like an uncomfortable conversation because like, you don't know how much you really want to share with this new person. Like you don't know how long they're going to be around. To be honest. I just, I like to kind of, tell them like right away that people are like you want to go out for a drink I'm like I don't drink but I'll sit there and have a whiskey soda hold the whiskey and it's fine I mean you just get through it at first I was always dreadful of when that moment would arise in a first date or anything like that but then I'm kind of using it now as a filter if somebody if I say I don't drink and that person is put off by that then that's going to save me like five ten dates down the road that's just somebody I don't want to date regardless yeah, and if they're freaked out, they're like, it has been some sort of an issue or something. It's like, later, I can find another you in a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. The funny thing that I've noticed is 9 out of 10 people, when I say, I don't drink, they're like, oh, that's that's really cool. And then they go, oh, how was your day today? You know, they just get over it. The people that pry and they ask questions, again, 9 out of 10 times, those people are asking questions for themselves. Have you witnessed this? Or do you know, do you know what I'm talking about here? 
like they yeah, they're asking questions one... like thinking they might have a drinking problem they're like well when did what what made you quit drinking like how much did you drink and and then i later find out okay they're drink they're asking for themselves there was one guy that asked and he was like why do you it was it was like a first date and he was like why do you not drink and he was i he i felt like he he was cocky and he was totally trying to screen me to see if i was kind of some kind of like person with baggage and issues and so i didn't feel like that with him and then there's other guys that I've, like, talked to, but they've been guys that I've, like, known a long time. And so then they're like, well, why do you not drink? Because they know I used to, but they didn't really necessarily know, like, how big of a problem it was for me. Because, like, lots of times I wasn't out in public when I was getting really drunk. It wasn't a big scene, usually. You know, and so then when they've asked me, like, people that I'm, like, closer with or, or that, like, know, like, well, how come? And I'm like, health and wellness, it's just no good for me. <laughs> Well, sobriety is usually a pretty healthy lifestyle. Daisy, we're kind of going to wrap it up here, but what is your plan moving forward for a healthy sobriety? I understand, and I know you got to take it one day at a time, but what's what's your plan in the future? As far as staying sober, um, staying busy and finding things that I love to do, and I'm still like continuing to do that, and um, you know, making those things a priority. And I do. I go to AA meetings and. And as hard as it is for me to squeeze those meetings in, they need to be there and I need to like keep those kind of in the forefront of things I do. So go to AA meetings and then just kind of keep up with things that keep me in the light and keep me positive because it's easy to kind of go, kind of feel bad about the whole situation or feel like I'm missing out on things. And I'm not, so just kind of stick with, I exercise a lot. I mean, that's that's how I get high. So like (laughs) I'm... I do a lot of exercise stuff and, and it's good. So it's just a matter of staying busy and finding things like that you look forward to. Like I'm always finding myself like trying to plan stuff and events. So it's like, I, I look forward to this next thing and, and this is good and I'm happy about this. Listeners, you're hearing from Daisy who has done it. She's young. She's 26. She's got 11 months of sobriety. Now, Daisy, before we part, Give listeners one piece of guidance in early sobriety. Maybe they haven't quit drinking yet, but what can you tell them to give them the best advice? I would just say, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, like take it easy as far as like work and, and, and everything else that you're doing in your life and just, you know, stay sober and it's, it's going to be rough. And, and what I, what I felt like I didn't do is like, I just thought once I stopped drinking like a month in that, all of the problems and everything was going to disappear and it doesn't and it's okay, but like be soft on yourself because it is, it's a huge transition and take your time with it and get well and just be gentle with yourself. Daisy, great stuff. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. You might be an alcoholic. If your idea of a balanced diet is a drink in each hand, you might be an alcoholic. If your doctor told you to watch your drinking. So now you only drink while standing in front of a mirror. You might be an alcoholic if your motto is don't drink and drive, you might spill it. If you want to hear all the podcasts and check out the resources that we have on this show, go to recoveryelevator.com. Like us on Facebook. Put this podcast or like the Facebook page. Put it in your back pocket, right? If you're listening to this podcast and you're not 100% certain you're an alcoholic, that's fine. I personally cannot tell you you're an alcoholic. You are the only one who can say you've got a drinking problem. But put this in your arsenal, put it in your back pocket for when you do reach that point to hit the stop button on your elevator and get off because you have a choice. 
you could continue to ride that elevator all the way down. And when I say all the way down, that's when your heart stops beating. Or it could also be when you're locked up for life in jail after a DUI or a drunken driving accident where people are killed or very badly injured. Let me know what you want to hear about. Email me at info at recoveryelevator.com. Let me know if you want more of me, less of me. This podcast is not about me. It's about you. If you want more of the interviewee, we'll do an interview for 45 minutes and I'll talk for just a couple minutes at the beginning. Let me know. I'm open to all different ideas and suggestions. But most importantly, you are not alone. You are so far from alone. Even if it's just this podcast that's with you, I need to tell you, you are not alone and never forget that. You took the elevator down, you gotta take the stairs back up, but one step at a time, you can do this.